we essentially came up with the concept that leadership development doesn't work. What works is helping leaders to have the conversations that really matter and make a difference with their teams. And so Ways of Working was built off three core pillars, um, building trust, building connection, and building performance. Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. So welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, really excited about this one, a really good friend of mine and someone I've known and trusted and worked with for a number of years now. Uh, welcome to the show, Jimmy Burrows. Hello there. Nice to be here. <laughs> well, <laughs> great to have you as always, Jimmy. So Jimmy is the founder and consultant at Jimmy Burroughs Leadership, uh, aka JBL, uh, and home of Ways of Working in the program there. So we're going to get into talking about that a lot in uh, in a little bit. But um, just as a, as a bit of an intro, Jimmy, and, and this <laughs> isn't just going to be a little bit of an intro, because I know you've got an amazing backstory in terms of the, some of the stuff you've done. So if could you just share a little bit about what got you to where you are today? You know, where did it all start for you and, and what's got you to here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, if we rewind the clock to the start of the career, which is probably a lot too long ago now to to really talk about, but um, I'm an ex-army officer. So uh, from day dot, really, in my career, it's been all about leadership. Uh, going to Royal Military Academy Sandhurst as a brand new university graduate, spending a year learning about leadership in probably one of the most intensive leadership courses in the world, uh, and then being lit, quite literally dumped in the deep end, uh, heading off to Gulf War II, which shows you how old we all are, yeah. uh, to be to take over um, parts of the logistic resupply for Basra and the surrounding areas right down to the sort of Kuwaiti border. Mm-hmm. And from day one, really, having to face some of those massive challenges that that leaders face on a daily basis. You know, the, the idea of imposter syndrome, the brand new second lieutenant who didn't know anything, who was expected to step up and lead soldiers who'd just been through war. Uh, the idea of managing you know, really complex decisions on a moment by moment, day by day basis. Mm-hmm. The idea of having to um, think about strategy and then tactical uh, implementation and operational implementation. And the idea of really careful stakeholder management, you know, one of the most exciting parts of the job I had when I was first in Iraq was going into the local villages, talking with the village chiefs and the village elders uh, and conveying that information back to intelligence. So, you know, some really cool, um, crunchy things to get stuck into as a young 20 something year old. (laughs) But equally, you know, that was leadership at its, you know, crunchy end, the crunchy end of leadership right from the start. Yeah, uh, and and really, I think that kind of paved the way for what has turned into the rest of my career. Um, so I was lucky enough to have a few trips overseas and, and do a few things as a leader in in the military. Uh, then transitioned into a more corporate career. Uh, and if you fast forward, you know, a number of years from there, I ended up as the burned out leader. Um, right. I was the on the fast track to the executive table. Um, working in a tier three role, working very hard to get to a tier two role, living on a diet of Coke Zero and red wine, 
um, trying to basically make it all work and keep up appearances and keep it all together. Mm. And I realized at some point that this was not the life I wanted for myself. And I didn't have the freedom I wanted. I didn't have the lifestyle I wanted. I didn't have the um, the fun that I wanted. And so decided to step out of the corporate world in 2017, uh, go off and redefine and reimagine myself, uh, which over the course of the last five, six years has become JBL uh, and has become the Ways of Working program. And, and now I've been working for um, you know, all sorts of businesses all over the world, essentially helping them with burned out leaders, burned out teams who are needing to have some better conversations and really looking at what it is that's causing that, really looking at what it is that's driving that and helping those teams out uh, to get to a better place. And I'm sure we'll talk more about it later, so I won't go into yeah. all the detail, um, but it's um, it's something that I'm really passionate about because I've been that leader at almost every stage of the leadership journey from brand new to completely burned out and everything in between. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing story. because I, I mean, I've, I've known you for a number of years. We, we met in New Zealand when we were both working out there, the natural place for Brits. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's always interested me is uh, like from those early stages, you were, as you say, sort of thrown into real leadership roles not just sort of um sort of helped up the ladder and by the way let's uh you know let, let's put you into a little starter program little graduate program here it you know literally from day one in that career you were in the firing line quite quite literally quite literally yeah, <laughs> quite literally yeah and, uh, and, and it, the other thing that really came up and i'm sure you've you've seen this from some of the other amazing people that you've spoken to in your podcast um but every time you kind of get good at a job you move to the next job yeah. And so you never really have that comfort zone window of, oh, I'm nailing this. Mm. It's always like, oh, my God, I hope I do a good job. And, oh, my God, I've got so much to learn. Mm. Um, so I've got real empathy for leaders that are in that situation. They're just like, it's all coming at them, drinking from a fire hose. Yeah. And so what are some of those, going back particularly to that military stage, in particular, uh, you know, what were some of the key lessons that you learned in that environment that, have always stuck with you throughout your corporate career and now you're um, venturing out on your own? There's so many, so, so many. I think, you know, the one that immediately springs to the top of the list is the idea that as a leader, you don't need to be the one who has all the ideas and has all the answers. Right. Um, one of the things that they teach you really carefully in the military is how to give a set of orders. Now that's essentially how to do a team briefing or how to do a, um, a strategic briefing for an operation. Yeah. Whether that be you and eight guys or you and 30 guys or you and 300 guys or you and 800 guys um, and girls, but it's the process is, is the same every single time. But in order to get to that moment where you open your mouth and you start talking about, this is how we're going to do this you've actually gone through an enormous amount of consultation with your subject matter experts. Right. So I think a lot of leaders think I have to come up with all the answers and I have to make all the decisions. And it puts an inordinate amount of pressure on them because they don't either trust or believe in the people around them, or mm. they don't think they, or they think there's some sort of weakness there to refer to others and they should have this font of all knowledge. Yeah. And so one of the things the military teaches you is that art of consultation with your subject matter experts, go to the people who do the job, and say, this is what I think we need to achieve. How would you do this? Right. Or this is the problem we've got in front of us. Come up with some suggestions for me. And your job as the leader is to make the decisions. So as to go, based on everything I've heard, 
these are the things I think we should do. And this, therefore, this is how we're going to do it. And this is how I, I'm going to set out my intent. And then actually the operation or doing, I trust you all. And so there's that real element of building trust with those people around you, building trust and, and the, building the capability of those people around you to be trustworthy and then supporting them in the things they come up with. So I think that's probably the, you know, the number one thing on my list to be trust those around you to give you some bright ideas and use those when you make your decisions. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it's a really, um, I mean, anyone going into a leadership role, anybody in a leadership role right now, the pressure to make those decisions and, and be a leader and step up and, and be the face of everything. Um, it It's no wonder people are burnt out these days, is it? Just because it's it's definitely feels as if it's all on me. I'm there to be the person who's got all the answers to, to help up. And even when you are consulting with people, you've still got a really complex and ever-changing world to deal with. So, um, you know, I mean, I know a lot of your stories from, from those military days in particular are, are about learning that sort of VUCA environment um, and understanding how to to develop your decision making when you get more information. So uh, just for any of our listeners, um, VUCA, I'll throw this over to you, Jimmy VUCA. Well, so um, the VUCA situation that most of us find ourselves in is a world that is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And what we want to try and do as leaders is to change that world or the perception of the existence that people are in to a situation where there's more vision, there's more understanding, there's more clarity, and there's more agility. And we call that VUCA prime. So we're taking people away from that sense of uncertainty and helping them create clarity and agility. Right. And, and yeah, particularly in this day and age, there's so much change. It's, it's not about trying to head down and do the same thing over and over again, is it? It's about how do you develop, how do you have that agility and, and how to move forward? And I know when we come to talk about ways of working, uh, having experienced a lot of it, that's that's a real part of what you do. So um Absolutely. I, I just want to touch on a couple of other things in your uh, in your career as well. So you mentioned corporate. What sort of mm. corporate roles did you get into and how did you find that transition from uh, being in the military to uh, going into the corporate environment? Yeah, you know what? I Too many jobs, probably. Um, <laughs> the the uh, I started off when I, I first arrived in New Zealand in a sort of HR consulting role, um, which was a mixture of uh, business development and and consulting. Uh, in the recruitment space and I really enjoyed that but it, I discovered pretty quickly that it wasn't for me and so I then moved into um, a large FMCG organization called Fonterra which is where you and I met uh, and over the course of um, about five years there was lucky enough to be fast-tracked through um, a number of roles starting off as a sort of training communications person in the warehousing supply chain division of the business and then moving more into the sort of farmer facing, it was called milk supply, farmer facing side of the business where I was uh, given the opportunity to work with the professionals that were going out on farm, both from a sustainability, but also from a sales perspective to help their capability. And then over the years, kind of gradually accruing responsibility for um more and more elements of of development, whether that be leadership, whether that be key talent, whether that be engagement, um, and supporting the you know the senior HR leaders to deliver some of those initiatives um, at a, a grassroots level, um, and taking a lot of those strategies and turning them into plans or deliverables or programs that were then delivered across the organisation. Right. Um, 
then moved from Fonterra to one of the, the big four banks uh, in in New Zealand, which is called Westpac, and had the opportunity to initially go in as an L&D consultant, so doing sort of diagnostic, um, which has stood me in good stead subsequently uh, on capability of development in the organization. And then all of a sudden was thrown back into the recruitment world where I ended up leading the recruitment function nationally for the business for about two and a half years, which was a really great opportunity to spread wings uh, in terms of understanding, not only dealing with senior leadership and, and briefing ELTs and going to board meetings, but also actually, you know, recruitment is a fast moving business yeah. uh, and on the back of a massive restructure in the organization, a uh, very high pressure, uh, intense job, which really helped me understand how the business actually made money. I spent a lot of time talking to bankers and people who were doing the job on how they did the job to really understand it. So right. much um, sort of separated myself from being the HR specialist into being more of an operational understander. And I think it was that two and a half years that really set me up for my final job in corporate, which was... Um, GM International at one of the large polytechnics in New Zealand, one of the large um, vocational universities, uh, where I was essentially responsible for a, a team of about 40 odd people who were going off around the globe, um, recruiting new students to come to New Zealand, but also, and probably more importantly, if we look at the future of education, uh, taking Corp, uh, uh, tertiary educational IP and creating partnerships, creating relationships and creating alliances overseas to be able to either deliver or um, sell uh, and license that IP to a variety of organizations, predominantly China and India, but all, we're all working in over 80 countries at that point. So it's um, it's been a really interesting career uh, <laughs> and, a, and a really rewarding one. And through each of the iterations, you know, some different leadership challenges coming up at each time. Yeah. But but also some really rewarding tools to put in in the toolbox, yeah. uh, both how to do it and how not to do it from my own perspective, yeah. um, which I've taken forward as lessons that I can share in the stuff we do now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's amazing stuff, and uh, you know, I, I've, as I say, you've known you since the Bondera days, and we've we've kept in touch over the years. And uh, but moving on from that um, that role at AUT, wasn't it the the Polytechnic? Uh, Unitech, yeah, uh, Unitech. Apologies. Um, um, you that's when you started moving around the world a little bit. So, <laughs> and I, when I say yeah. a li little bit, you've uh, you, you've done a fair few countries. Is this when you started off doing some of the the, the JBL work, or was that a transitional period for you? Yeah, I, you know, I think it was a gradual shift. Um, interestingly, when I was at Fonterra, I made this choice that I wanted to be a coach, uh, and I didn't, and I had imposter syndrome, and I didn't believe in myself enough. And uh, I remember talking to my coach about it back in back in the days, and and actually talking to quite a few of our mutual acquaintances about it. And they were like, mm -hmm. yeah, you should just do it. And I was like, oh, and I bet when I've got a GM title and when I've got an MBA and and when I've done all these other things and I've got these like accolades, then I'll be, then I'll be credible. And we all know that that is not the case. You don't mm -hmm. need to do that. But for some reason, you know, we all do it. But I left the corporate world um, and finally thought, well, this is the time to go off and kind of rediscover me and work out what my ikigai or my, my reason for being is. And... When I was traveling around Latin America for a couple of years, uh, I had the opportunity to meet some incredible digital nomads. Yeah. And I think it was through a process of immersion, I learned to speak digital nomad. I learned to speak 
remote work. I learned to speak virtual meeting. Um, and this is all back in sort of 2017, 2018. So way before COVID ever happened, I became completely digitally native. Right. And I thought to myself, well, there's this opportunity here to support organizations and individuals virtually. Because I remember back in the days of trying to get budget approvals to start to move teams around the world to go to training sessions. And I remember trying to get um, you know, then trying to get three three days in people's diaries so they could travel, be in a workshop and travel home again, which ruined their weeks. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I'm if I can do this all virtually, there must be something in this. Mm-hmm. So gradually over time started to kind of create what is now Jimmy Burroughs leadership um, and had the opportunity and the fortune to work with some incredible entrepreneurs, um, some amazing thought leaders, some incredible startups along the way that kind of showed me how some of these things worked and didn't work and also gave me the opportunity to test and prove some of the things I was thinking um, and also to throw some of the ideas, some of the crazy ideas that I had out the window uh, and and refine and refine and refine. So when I finally decided to kind of go all in to what is now JBL, yeah, um, it was a much easier transition than kind of stopping corporate day one and st- on a Friday and and starting JBL on a on a Monday. It was a it was a gradual transition over a couple of years, but it it, it paid off. Yeah, I because I, I know a couple of other people who've done the the digital nomad life as well, and uh, one of the things that's always stuck out for me, and I'll see if it's uh, if it hits home with you as well, is that when you're going out on your own and you're doing something that is essentially you and a, and a webcam and a, a screen, you know, that could be five in the morning for you delivering to the other side of the world that nobody knows any difference. Um, mm-hmm. But but one of the key things that, um, that I learned from others is that there's so many other people doing that kind of work so have been, and I think people still are these days is that you can be surrounded by people who can help you, bounce out you're not on your own essentially are you you're surrounded by others who've got a little bit of connection with what you're doing but they're not direct competitors they they might be doing some uh you know photography artwork they might be doing um some some writing or some a different program of work or a different way of coaching or, de- or development um and you can connect with those people and learn from them in, in that environment how was that experience for you uh, do you know i'm so in agreement with with what you've just said there and i think because because what we were doing was kind of pre this becoming mainstream. This is, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, um, that it was a group of almost like rebellious, re- rebellious, rebellious um, early adopters, innovators. Yeah. And so there was this real camaraderie in trying to make it work. You know, a lot of people that had a lot of people who I met on the road were trying to work with their current businesses but doing it remotely or tele- right. telecommuting as it was called in those days. Yeah. Um, and they were struggling to manage stakeholders from afar. Mm. Uh, and so having people around them to sort of throw ideas around with and what turned into a coaching element for me was, you know, how do you do this? Yeah. What would be a good way to approach these conversations? But equally, you know, if we go down to the brass, brass tacks of there's a Chrome plugin for just about everything. And so meeting and being surrounded by people who go, oh, you know, there's a really great scheduling tool I use, or there's a really great finance tool I use, or here's, here's something amazing for getting a better camera quality, or here's a great lamp that we use. Um, just that givingness 
of right. the community. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure it still exists now, but I think now everybody's kind of got stuck in and everybody's doing it. Uh, and you know, it'd be interesting to see how the, the the next couple of years go as people go back to the workplace, whether nomad culture will will change again. Yeah. Um, but I've I, I do I find it I found it a very supportive, very um fertile space to to grow a business and to be surrounded by these amazing startups with amazing passion and it kind of gives you the energy to go along with it as well and to try and make it work for yourself you know you get sucked into the entrepreneurial vibe and it's it's a very cool place to be awesome um and you so you finally found yourself settling down if that's the the right word uh you're now based out of mexico and, uh, yeah, I, I prefer to call it slow madding rather than settling down. <laughs> um, you know, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be a person that just stays in one place forever. And even now we don't, you know, we move between homes, um, right. we move between cities uh, and we try and keep a, an element of freshness in it and, and long may that continue. Yeah. But yeah, I know I decided make it made a conscious choice a couple of years ago to set up a base of operations for the business out of Mexico in Baja California, which is, um, essentially, I, I think, you know, I think back to the story of the Greek fisherman who was told by the American millionaire, if he worked hard, um, he could buy a fleet of boats and spend his days fishing in the morning and, uh, and sleeping in, with his friends in the afternoon. And I kind of have adopted that paradisical lifestyle. You know, we live on the beach, right. it's only 360 days a year. I can scuba dive when I want to. Um, and that was a really important lifestyle choice that allows me to be at my best for my business. Um, and for the clients that we work with, you know, trying to be fresh and energetic and, and full of life, you have to put yourself in a position where that's going to work for you. If you're in a, a small gray studio in a city you don't like, in a country you don't like, it's surrounded by people you don't like, it's it's much harder to be at your best. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the entrepreneurial lessons I've learned along the way is it's all about the people around you and the network and the, and the vibe that you create is very important. Brilliant stuff. Um, so tell us a bit more then about JBL and what you do, who you help, what the ways of working program, what is that, and uh, and what's the uh, what's the value that that brings to you and your clients? Happy to, um, yes. So ways of working really was born from a couple of key pieces of research that that I did with with the team over the last couple of years. Um, the first big kind of insight was the the number of leaders who go on leadership programs and either do nothing with it or the results that they get are very minimal. And that's not to say that the leadership programs are not well-delivered and they're not good programs. They absolutely are. Mm -hmm. But what we see is that most leaders are maxed out all the time. And so they're being taken out of their day job for, you know, X hours, days, weeks, a year and, talked to or talked with Mm. Uh, they're being downloaded content in vast amounts of um, you know slides or whatever it might be all the while their inboxes are filling up and they go back to their desks after their time away to a very full inbox a very full day of meetings or week of meetings and a lot of questions and skepticism about these new behaviors they start to show and it becomes extremely hard to implement that stuff against the the resistance that they're encountering. Right. And so when we looked at that at a, at a grassroots level, we essentially came up with the concept that leadership development doesn't work. What works is helping leaders to have the conversations that really matter and make a difference with their teams. Mm-hmm. 
And so Ways of Working was built off three core pillars, um, building trust, building connection, and building performance. And when you look at each of those in turn, and if you go back to the, the military example, if you if you build trust and talk to the people around you for some better ideas, chances are your ideas are going to be better than you doing it in isolation. If you're connected with the people around you, if you're connected with your organization, if you're connected with where you're going and your strategy, and you're connected with how that's going to work, then you're going to get better results. If you know what performance looks like and everybody else knows what performance looks like, then you're going to get better results. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of the homogenization of leadership development training and high performance teams training that we put together in ways of working to turn the whole thing on its head. And so what we do in ways of working is we have three modules that we take teams through either over three full days or six half days over a period of three to four months where we get them in a room, either virtually or physically. And we have a methodology that we take them through where essentially we're having the important discussions that need to be had. Mm. We do a diagnostic before the program starts. So we know where some of the gaps are in some of those conversations we know from experience that there are some other conversations that need to be had. And then at the end of the program, we do another diagnostic to make sure we haven't missed anything. And if there's anywhere to fill in some gaps, then we make sure we do. And what we find is that when you get a leader in the room with their team, immediately you build trust and connection and performance starts to go up. Yeah. And over the course of the program, you're building trust and connection and performance with them. So that really works. Um, but also you're providing a good example of what a good conversation looks like. So people start to learn by immersion. Right. That's really important. Right. We also encourage as a result of every, every single one, we call them leader labs, every, basically every single one of the workshops, that everybody tries something new hmm. because we can all get stuck in this world of just doing what we think works and not exploring anymore. And the second piece of theory that kind of the program was based on was people are burning out because they keep doing the same things and not getting any better results or they keep doing the same things, but in a new world. Right. So we wanted to bring in this concept of curiosity of experimentation and exploration. Mm. And we know from the research that people who are curious uh, are experimenting and are exploring significantly less likely to burn out because they try and find new ways to innovate through problems. Mm. So we've now got this idea of building trust, building connection, building performance and building exploration. And then the third piece of it was um, realizing pretty quickly that leaders also want to have some empathy for the struggles that they're going through. And so what we did was we started taking the leaders of all of the cohorts that we were working with in all of the organizations and offering them basically a networking mastermind where they could come along to a call of their peers or a group of peers from globally, depending on which cohort they jump into, and start to have discussions about some of the challenges they're facing on a given topic and get some new ideas and some fresh insights that they can take back to their team and talk about. Um, we also added some coaching support to all the leaders. So if they um, don't know how to have that next conversation off the back of the mastermind, or if they don't know how to continue the momentum that would happen in a leader lab, then we give them that support because the last thing we want to do is to go on a course and then not be able to implement it. Right. So we're really starting to work out where to plug all the gaps. And, and what we've created is this four month experience that teams and leaders go through that is really starting to shift the dial mm. in terms of not only performance, but also engagement, also in terms of burnout, also in terms of well-being, 
um, and, and a lot of other metrics that are directly linked to the bottom line of the organization and the the people bottom line as well, which is the, the other important factor, right? Yeah, definitely. And I know because I've you know, experienced some of the uh, the ways of working pieces through some of your mastermind courses, et cetera, that what I really love about what you do is you take something like trust, for instance, and you go, right, it, it's important to build trust. And I've heard so many different things in the past, which is, you know, trust really important. You know, you've got to have trust. Trust is really, uh, really the thing that's going to get you there. What you bring in through the Ways of Working program that I've seen is um, actual practical steps. One, what does trust actually mean? What does it look like and feel like? And what can you do to get you there? And I think that's the the bit for me that's always made a, a big difference is it's not, you know, going, oh, I need to build trust. How do I go from I need to build trust to I need to do something that's going to result in me getting better trust? And I think that yep. it's not that people struggle with what they want to achieve. It's the steps to how they achieve it, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and you know, tr- let's t- let's continue that con- conversation mm-hmm. with trust. Thanks for bringing it up. Mm-hmm. You know, trust is an outcome, not an input. Yeah. Um, and so if you can understand what, you know, a bronze, silver and gold medal looks like at trust, then all of a sudden trust becomes easier to hit. And then if you go, and so what's the training program to get that medal, then trust becomes easier to get. And so what we try and do is we try and show people the different layers of trust that people go to and the levers they can pull with their teams, working in discussion, working in conversation and working through behaviors that are going to deliver trust as an outcome. Because you can't, and, and, and ironically, the, pe- the leaders that need to build trust the most are probably the ones that have the least idea of how to do it. Right. Uh, and their team are probably not expecting them to start doing it. Mm. The, le- the, 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 the leaders that inherently are good at building trust are probably naturally doing most of the things that, that we talk about, but they don't realize it. Yeah. So either way, you're either showing people the way or you're validating what they're doing. Both, both times, then you still get a performance acceleration. Oh, amazing stuff. And, and who is it that you tend to work with then? Who, you, you talked about teams and organizations. Do you tend to be working in sort of larger organizations, smaller organizations? Who, who are your typical clients? You know, it's it's been an interesting journey. Um, I would say that the clients where we see the most wholesale success is where they're a larger organization, you know, talking kind of 1,000 plus employees, 10,000 plus employees. Um who have realized that they need to do something to stop people burning out. They need to change culture. They need to support their leaders to do a better job. Yeah. Uh, and their leaders aren't necessarily skilled or equipped enough to do that. Those can be a variety of industries, but they tend to be fast paced moving industries or industries that are experiencing a level of disruption. Mm. So we've been lucky enough to work with FMCG businesses, um, financial services industries, construction industry, um, but it tends to be those those teams that are, are on a journey of change who've realized that something needs to shift, quite dramatically needs to shift. And often there's some correlation between that and high turnover statistics, low engagement statistics, um, lots of numbers that we can, you know, you can go into the data nerding as much as you like. But essentially it's that large organizations where we can partner with multiple teams at the same time Mm. to shift a culture and tend to kind of slot in that level tier uh, level three or tier three tier four leadership team and their direct reports because they're the ones that tend to be running the organization and they're the ones where you can typically shift the culture 
really effectively by changing the way leadership happens and then it cascades down to the organization so the most successful organizations we partner with are where we kind of started off at that level and then we almost like disseminate outwards from that point yeah and do you see it disseminating upwards as well you know that yes and there's an interesting piece of um insights that we had a little while back which is um the the importance of briefing the one-up leadership team right uh, whether you're working at level three level four level five or tier three two four two five to have the level up leadership team knowing what's going on and almost we've now started taking them through like a mini briefing version of the programs so they know what we're going to be talking about and we do a couple of the activities with them so they see what's happening and I found that's actually become quite a powerful way of, oh, actually, you should come over here into this part of the business as well and, and start doing it over here. Yeah. Um, but also, ah, oh, okay, so that's what's going on. Oh, yeah, we need that too. Or, wow, that's really going to make a difference. So in terms of becoming stickier and therefore able to offer more help yeah. to an organization, um, quite important to show the leadership teams what the teams are going through as well. Yeah. Because they're going to going to see their teams doing things differently, and I know uh, one of you've mentioned it. One of the big things you're into is that experimentation mindset, isn't it? You know, you're going to see their direct reports doing things that they wouldn't have done in the past, or having conversations in a different way. Um, so you, you've got to keep that communication uh, one up communication to make sure that people are aware that people yeah, will people are going to be acting and doing things differently yeah absolutely yeah yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can if that's not done properly that can scupper the whole thing and, and put a put, put the brakes on quite quickly got it and and that was kind of one of the triggers for having the one-up briefings was um not only it was that kind of what's going on down there right. um view of or, or or hold on somebody's come to me and asked for approval for this new thing where has this come from yeah and in and that's not to say it was a critical lens it was just a surprise or unprepared. And when we realized that, it was like, well, we need to get into that layer above and say, this is what's going to happen. And this is how it looks. And this is what you can expect. Right. And this is how you can support it. Yeah. We talk a lot in the program about um, leaders being icebreakers. And there's kind of two ways of thinking about the icebreaker. There's the icebreaker you have at the start of a conference who essentially the warm-up act um, or the warm-up question. It's like making everybody feel relaxed and comfortable and at ease. And so a leader has a great role to do in playing that role, right? They have mm -hmm. to help their teams feel relaxed and comfortable at ease, trusted, connected, so they can perform. Yeah. Um, but equally, the icebreaker is the ship that sails ahead of the fleet and breaks the ice as they're sailing through, through icy waters. Mm -hmm. And senior leaders, if they're not prepared to do that, can block the ships from sailing. So with all this great intent to sail through these waters if the icebreaker is not there in the form of senior leadership then nothing happens as you say or it just stops in its tracks hmm. and so we talk a lot about that icebreaker role for sponsors and level two level three teams to make sure they're in, they're providing the facility for ships to sail through open waters brilliant so i love a good metaphor and a, and a good acronym <laughs> as well so i'm a sucker for those um <laughs> Right. If we uh, there's a couple of things you touched upon earlier on that takes us nicely into the sort of next segment of the podcast, which is um, how do you help your performance? You know, what where do you go? Who do you talk to? And I noted down a couple of things. You know, particularly around diving and the environment that you've put yourself in. Um, that must have been a bit of self reflection to realize what it is that gives you the energy to perform at your best. Um, so what what are those things that that help you to perform at your best, and how do you 
reach out and uh, and improve yourself? Yeah, I think there's you know there's two pieces of the puzzle here. There's the stuff that's holding you back that you need to detention. And there's stuff that it, you want attention to pull you forward. And you have to do both of those at the same time. And if you think about kind of from a burnout perspective, having a well-being plan or process is really, really key. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a really keen scuba diver. Um, I've, I, I try and get in the water as often as I can, which is not as often as I want. <laughs> um, but it's for some reason... Um, I don't know whether it's the salt water. I don't know whether it's the breath work and the buoyancy and the concentration on something else. Yeah. But I find that's a really restorative place for me to be is underwater. Um, and the diving in, in Los Gaos is, is fantastic. Um, a variety of wildlife, a variety of things to see. But actually, you know, I sometimes just find myself asleep underwater <laughs> um, as I'm sort of recentering myself. The other thing I make sure I try and do is look after myself physically. So I run and I work out and I do hit and I do all those things that um, are about getting aggression, but also getting clarity of thought to the front of mind. Yeah. Um, and I think probably that's the military sort of legacy in me is that you need to kind of beast yourself to be calm, to be able to the ha- have the, the thoughts. So yeah. I really enjoy enjoy running. I think the other thing is then the learning bit. Uh, and so I have uh, subscriptions to just about everything that you can do in terms of blogs from McKinsey, from HBR, from Deloitte, from The Economist. And so I'm always trying to watch out for global trends, global um, new concepts, and be on the front edge of the wave all the time. Yeah. So I can offer up value to people having considered it and thought about it because I've read about it a lot. Yeah. And that's, that's actually where our research team started mm-hmm. was me kind of downloading lots of cool things and saying hey what do you think about this and then mm-hmm. not turning into a, an official part of the business creating these little white papers on what we think about subject x or y right the other and then the third piece is that network uh, so having access to people who might they might be in the same area as you they might not be but just having a variety of perspectives and diverse opinions and diverse thinking mm-hmm. about anything so i find the mastermind actually super useful for hearing what people at the coalface are experiencing, but equally talking to other leadership thinkers, talking to other thought leaders, talking to other consultants, um, kind of tops up your bucket of, oh, that I tried this and it didn't work, or I'm trying this right now and seeing how it goes, or I'm talking about this and, and sharing ideas in a non-competitive, nourishing way for everybody in the community to gain from. I think that's a really important thing. And it's when you can... When you can move from that scarcity to that abundance mindset of I've got to keep everything for me to actually, this is about making the world a better place. So let's just share openly and willingly as we can within commercial boundaries, um, but actually give unto others because you gain more than you give. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's, there's two bits of networking that, um, I think we're both involved with, uh, well, uh, one is the sort of solopreneurs, the, the group of people who, uh, Faris, our first guest in episode number one, um, he set up, um, which is a lot of like-minded people, a lot of people who are going out and doing this sort of um, helping people perform in their own way and coaching and facilitation and training and, and bits and pieces like that. Um, but what I love about the ways of working network that I'm involved with, which you run, is on that group that we have, we've got um, uh, the head of a, a diving school, 
um i can never remember where's where's juicy base he's uh in in utila honduras yeah yeah, in, in honduras we've, we've got we've got an artist somewhere in california i believe um yep. we've got um a head of a, a small building firm up in glasgow yeah, it, it, such a variety. It's incredible people. Yeah, so you just, have an insurance company, GM operations of a hotel chain. Yeah. yeah, there's some there's some amazingly diverse people, and that's the benefit of that little group. Actually, I love that group because yeah. it's it's my one time a month where I get to see all of those diverse people versus just inside one client. Yeah, yeah, and it's a there's huge value I've found in that space as well. When when helping me perform, it's as much those environments that you're working with similar people that you can share and and move your you know up your game that way but also just the diversity of thinking those challenging perspectives um you know we, we've got a retired lawyer on that group as well and things we've got people who who just uh just throwing things out there you'd never even considered and i really uh, really love what that and brings there's a real irony in that as well isn't there the the concept that everybody who's a leader is going through very similar experiences yeah. no matter their industry, but also they're dealing with it in entirely different ways that might serve others. And, yeah. and that to me is the beauty of the mastermind concept is that you're hearing from people that you would never normally meet yeah. in countries and backgrounds that you would never normally encounter. And you get the benefit of their thinking for, for basically for not a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Mate. Well, a um, couple of quick fiery type questions as well then to, to look to wrap things up. Firstly, ideal client might be the wrong word but in, if you were able to take your skill set and what you can bring and help anybody be it an individual team or organization um, who would you want that to be you know it, 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 the ideal leader for me and it to me it comes down to like team, team by team by team um would be either identified by their HR function as somebody who's got massive potential if they could just get on top of these couple of things that are really overwhelming them or struggling with right now, yeah. or they've been identified by themselves to say, I think you know we, we could grow this team by 10%, 20% performance. We've got real opportunity. I'm just really struggling to work out how to do that. And I know I've got some amazing people around me and I can't, I can't seem to just like unlock their horsepower how do I how do I do this? Mm. And and I think they're the people that we're clamoring and we connect with best. It's like we really want to make a difference here to the world. We really want to make a difference to our business. We really want to make a difference in terms of performance. Just not quite sure how. And they've probably already been on leadership programs. They've probably already signed up for courses. Yeah. They've probably already had a coach, but it hasn't worked. And so we're coming at this from a different angle, and we know it does work. So that's the type of people I would love to connect with. Awesome. And conversely to that, who would you like to sit down with, have a cup of coffee, uh, maybe a tequila, and sit down and learn from somebody else uh, and that you believe would up your performance? Oh, great. Well, definitely would be tequila, because obviously living in Mexico, that's all we drink. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a couple of people I'd love to sit down with. Um, the vision from um, the, I can't remember the name of it now. Um, no, it's gone. I have to delete that bit. Um, <laughs> uh, it would. Th there's a guy who runs an online masterclass program um, called Vision Litviani, and he is incredible. You know, he's created the world's largest development program. Right. And I would love to sit down with Vision and just have a conversation with him mm. and understand 
how he connects with such amazing people and how he does that right. um, to really be able to do the same thing myself. I think there's another guy as a coach called Rich Lipvin, who is amazing for just holding incredible space for leaders to examine their own thinking and asking great questions. Mm. So I'd love to learn from him. And I think the other person would probably, and it sounds cliche, but I've fa- always been fascinated by Bill Gates. Right. And he's this little nerd dropout who became the richest man in the world, who then kind of gave it all up and decided to go into philanthropy, who now owns one of the biggest foundations on the planet, doing good in all pockets. And you know, I really admire that taking corporate wealth uh, and commercial success and turning that into meaningful change for the planet. And as a diver, I'm very passionate about the oceans and sustainability and, and all those things. Yeah. But as a person who works in the corporate sector, um, I'm very passionate about keeping people on their feet and not letting them burn out and fall over. And so I think there's a real opportunity to to, to take the the way that Bill Gates operates and turn that into something really meaningful from a from a wow perspective. Fantastic. And finally, just to, to wrap things up, how do people find out more? How do they connect with you? How do they find out about the Ways of Working program, all of the good stuff there? Probably three three ways easy. Um, we have a, an active website, jimmyburrows.com. Uh, which I think will be in the notes or I can certainly will to the notes. Yeah. Uh, and in there, if you want to learn more about our thinking and the things we're kind of talking about, then there's a really active blog in there as well, which is out every week or so, uh, which talks about something to do with the program or something we've done in the program. Yeah. Um, we're on LinkedIn, very active on LinkedIn and happy to network with anybody through that. And also you can follow us on social media, Instagram and Facebook, uh, we have a, a a private Facebook group, or a, a members-only Facebook group called Be a Better Leader, uh, which uh, I'm passionate about trying to reinvigorate. Uh, and so any of those methods are, are, are great. But if you want to find out more, then I would recommend jumping on the website, having a look at the blog, and reaching out for a conversation. Always love to connect and see what's going on in people's world. Cool. And I will I've just made a, a note for myself. I, I will make sure that all of those links uh, are in the show notes for people. And I would actively encourage any of our listeners to, to get in touch with Jimmy. He's always up for a conversation and those conversations are always hugely valuable. So as always, Jimmy, an absolute pleasure, mate. Thanks for coming on the show. Couldn't have done this show without your support and couldn't be where I am today without your support. So you've helped me perform in my career. Hopefully I can give a little bit back as we work through the next few years. So uh, uh, keep up the great work. And thanks again for being on board. Amazing. And thank you so much for the opportunity to come and have a chat with you. It's um, it's awesome to see everything going so well with the podcast. And um, yeah, people should subscribe to this because I think there's magic to be found in it. Many thanks, Jimmy. See you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.